Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll give them a call. You can find out everything about them at the johnsonsairconditioning.com, the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is right now in Tel Aviv. He has been now for the last couple of months uh, primarily staying there primarily because of COVID-19. We'll visit with Mark about current global affairs, including what's going on in Belarus, uh, Taiwan, China, Thai protests, snapback sanctions on Iran, just a lot to discuss in terms of uh, current global affairs. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be talking about his concept of presentism and how it can distort the past and uh, prohibit uh, moving forward in a positive way in the future. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Father the Leader and its sequel, uh, Shake the Money Tree. It is September the 21st, and on this day in 1780, during the American Revolution, American General Benedict Arnold met with British Major John Andre to discuss handing over West Point to the British in return for a promise of a large sum of money in a high position in the British Army. The plot was foiled, and Arnold, a former American hero, became synonymous with the word traitor. Uh, he was born in a well-respected family in Norwich, Connecticut. On January the 14th, 1741, he apprenticed with an apothecary and was a member of the uh, militia during the French and Indian War. He later became a successful trader and joined the Continental Army when the uh, Revolutionary War broke out between Great Britain and, uh, of course, the 13 colonies. When the war ended in 1783, the colonies had won their independence from Britain and formed a new nation, the United States, during the war. Benedict Arnold proved himself a brave and skillful leader, helping Ethan Allen's troops to capture Fort Ticonderoga in 1775, and then participating in an unsuccessful attack on British Quebec later that year, which earned him a promotion to Brigadier General. Arnold distinguished himself in campaigns at Lake Champlain, Ridgefield, and Saratoga, and gained the support of George Washington. However, Arnold had enemies within the military, and in 1777, five men of lesser rank were promoted over him. Over the course of the next few years, Arnold married for a second time, and he had a new life and wife, lived a lavish lifestyle in Philadelphia, accumulating substantial debt. The debt and the resentment Arnold felt over not being promoted faster was motivating factors in his uh, choice to become a turncoat. In 1780, Arnold was given command of West Point, an American fort in the Hudson River in uh, New York and future home of the U.S. Military Academy. Arnold contacted uh, Sir Henry Clinton, head of the British forces, and proposed handing over West Point and his men. On September the 21st of that year, Arnold met with Major John Andre and made his traitorous pact. However, the conspiracy was uncovered, and Andre was captured and executed. Arnold, the former American patriot, fled to the enemy side and went on to lead British troops in Virginia and Connecticut. He later moved to England, though he never received all of what he'd been promised by the British, and he died in London, pretty much of a pauper, on June the 14th, 1801. Benedict Arnold. And speaking of Benedict Arnold, we have our own present-day traitors in America. There's so much to discuss today, including the death of Supreme Court Justice 
Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, low uh, COVID-19 numbers in Collier County, and Biden's claim that 200 million folks would die of coronavirus before he finished his 15-minute speech. I'm quite certain he meant 200,000, but that's what he said with great emphasis, 200 million. But I'd like to focus on the harm to our culture created by George Soros. I've taken much of the data from this uh, column uh, in The Federalist by Robbie Starbuck to make my points here. But since 2015, George Soros has been executing a plan to reshape the country through local district attorney elections. We've talked about this before by pumping unprecedented amounts of money into races that typically only see candidates spend in the low five figures. Here's why he has an interest in these local races. He's exploiting the reality that all politics are local in some way. To transform America, you have to transform the way towns and cities operate. A recent exchange on Fox News, I don't know if you, maybe we even talked about this on Friday, I'm not sure, but involving former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, uh, Harris Faulkner, uh, Democrat commentator Marie Harf, and Fox commentator Melissa Francis made me take notice of their particular and peculiar defense of George Soros. Their guest, Newt Gingrich, brought up the indisputable fact that Soros has been spending what can only be described as unprecedented amounts of money on local races in recent years with the goal of flipping DA races to far-left progressive candidates who implement soft-on-crime policies that inevitably lead to skyrocketing crime rates and violence like we see in Portland. In response, Harf and Francis objected uh, George Soros doesn't need to be part of the conversation. Harf went on to deny that Soros is buying these races, and Faulkner did not step in to correct her. And, of course, uh, that they went on to... Uh, <laughs> Gingrich finally said, well, I guess it's verboten to bring up the George Soros. It's very strange. So what's going on here? We'll talk about more of this here in just a little while. Right now, I think we have our guest, Mark Schulman, uh, who will be our first guest on the show, just called in. So uh, this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4100. 11 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org we'll see you at the show welcome back to the bob harden show and now here's your host bob harden Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, author of Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman, as I mentioned before the break. He's in Tel Aviv right now. He's uh, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com, and author of several books, mainly about past presidents. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So let's pick up our conversation as we do every Monday morning about current global affairs, and let's start off with what's happening in Belarus. Well, Belarus, we're continuing to see the demonstrations going on uh, week after week. Uh, hundreds and thousands are arrested, but they keep on demonstrating. In the meantime, Putin has pledged uh, to send in police force to back up the police of the dictator. He's very afraid of dem- you know he's very afraid that the uh, demonstrators might win in something like what happened in Ukraine, where his ha- hand-picked henchmen gets uh, thrown out and real democracy takes place in the country. Yeah. Something that, of course, Putin doesn't want to see happen. Uh, the current guy is pretty much one of his puppets. Um, and, of course, he's been elected, quote-unquote, uh, time and time again by overwhelming majorities. Overwhelming majorities. Right. And uh, the overwhelming majority obviously does not support him based on now these protests. I also read that uh, a couple of companies, countries in the EU want to support Belarus with trade and uh, of some sort. I don't know if you'd read that or not. Well, there's also the, there's the issue, of course, of uh, countries in the EU want to want to boycott it so much and want to want to cut Belarus <coughs> off at this mm. point, the government off. Uh, so that's more or less the direction the EU is going. Um, the EU has come down fairly fairly strongly against what what he's been doing, as have um, states in the, in the area as well. So we'll have to see. Um, this is a, you know this is a clear sh- showdown uh, with Russia trying to ex- extend its power some more and other countries trying to push back. So we'll yeah. have to see where that where that goes. Absolutely. Uh, but he's one of those guys that needs to go without a shadow of a doubt. 
So let's pick up with uh, China, and uh, one of the big issues has been the sale of the Oracle uh, TikTok deal. What do you right. Th- so this is, this, this is a, a bluff sale. Let's put it that way. They have not been sold. Uh, the Chinese continue to own the company. The Chinese will continue to have all the algorithms and everything else. The only thing that's happening here is that Oracle is now going to become their cloud provider. Now, not instead of a Chinese cloud provider, mind you, they have a five-year contract with Google. But Oracle is a particularly close, uh, the Larry Ellison is close to the Trump administration, and this is like crony capitalism at its best, quite honestly. There is no national, none of the national security concerns about TikTok have been addressed at all in this agreement whatsoever. So the Secretary so, of State said that uh, actually the uh, Chinese would uh, be, uh, they'd, they'd get dividends or get income from it, but they'd have absolutely no control or interest or uh, in the algorithm. He made that up. It's not based on anything. Just a lie. They're, 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 they're not, the control remains amongst the same company. Now, the company may go public. The company might have Amer- American shareholders. It might have a majority of American shareholders at some point. But the deal that was done with Oracle and, and Walmart, with the Walmart part makes even less sense, but okay, uh, gives no control whatsoever to Walmart or Oracle. The only thing that's going to happen is Oracle is going to become the cloud provider. In other words, the... the um, data, etc., is going to reside on the Oracle um, Oracle servers as opposed to the Google servers. So the the uh, interest here is not a matter of ownership. But the question of having uh, protecting American citizens from uh, surveillance nothing, from the communist nothing Chinese. Does any, nothing happens here that changes that. And what's the source I'm of your information? You this, is not, this is what. What's the source of your information? Well, I've read the, the, all everything relating to the agreement. I've spoken to people in the, in the tech field. Um, there is nothing in this agreement that changes the security arrangements whatsoever. Well, that's interesting. So, I don't know why the Secretary of State would go on Marie Bartiromo's show. The Secretary of State is a liar. I'm sorry. We've seen that time and time again. We have a problem in, at the moment is the fact that the ability to see between truth and, and, and what sounds good is very difficult to see these days everywhere. Yeah. Well. There's, there's nothing here that, that protects Americans any more than before. Now, you know, again, how important it was to do this, etc., is an interesting question. We don't know, and I think TikTok is a, is a potential problem. Look, the, the reality is that the Chinese have kept American companies out of China, for, you know, the American social, social media networks, whether it's Facebook, Google in certain ways, etc. Now, so it's fair to keep theirs out, maybe. That's part of the issue. But the other issue we need to be careful about in any of these circumstances is American companies in you know, 100 countries all, the, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, if we end up in this situation where, um, well, India, they want this in order to allow Facebook in the country, and, well, the Philippines, they want that, and, well, uh, Tan- uh, Tanzania wants, you name it. In other words, we get into a very difficult situation here in terms of capitalism and freedom and freedom of, uh, freedom of expression and freedom of business, so let's put it that way. Open, free Internet versus a very closed uh, Internet um, these are very difficult questions, and I, don't get me wrong, I don't have simple answers when it comes to the Chinese, because the Chinese are very difficult uh, competitors in every which way. Yeah. But we need to be very careful in what we do, that we don't create all sorts of problems down the line and all sorts of precedents. 
Well, in all fairness, um, first first of all, I don't see what value TikTok brings to society at all. That's that, that's, that's a different story. You and I have a, I don't have TikTok. Yeah. That's a, you know, I can make the argument about Facebook quite clearly as well. You know, yeah. we can make these arguments all we want. It doesn't. It's not relevant. Right, but I, I still I still am skeptical of what you're saying. I, I do. I can't imagine why the president and the secretary of state Pompeo would uh, would uh, make this declaration and uh, why they would lie about it. I just can't understand that. Growing capitalism. Simple as that. Larry Ellison is a big donor. That, that he gets the contract for for hosting it. They uh, Oracle's like number ten in hosting. They haven't done a. They have, they're way behind in the hosting business. Yeah, they have a. So they, they have a lawsuit. A, they have a lawsuit. That's, they have a lawsuit right now with Google that's going to be settled in the early of the uh, first uh, term of the Supreme Court, which is kind of a ten billion dollars. Actually, is the uh, is the amount that they're suing for for. For uh, actually stealing Violation code, of Java or whatever it might be. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, so we'll uh, s- yes. see how that this goes. Is, you know, it's one of the big problems in capitalism, generally speaking, is you know we need to separate out crony capitalism from true capitalism. Well, I could now that I agree with absolutely. So let's move to uh, Taiwan and China and the tensions that are created there. Yeah, we got some big problems there. In other words, China has successfully. Um, it captured, I'll use that word, but it's not really captured. It successfully brought to heel Hong Kong at this point to a very large degree. And Taiwan has always been, you know, a problem for, for China. They've always objected to the fact that Taiwan has been independent, that Taiwan has been an independent democracy. And, of course, you know, for us to open up relations with China, President Nixon, you know, we, we made the arrangement that basically said, we accept one China, but you know what? We won't have an embassy in Taiwan. We'll have an interest section, we'll have a cultural section, mm-hmm. and everything else like that. And that's how most of the world has been acting, because they're afraid of angering China. Now, the question becomes, Taiwan is well-armed, relatively speaking. It's wealthy. It's very successful. They've done a tremendous job, by the way, with COVID-19. Um, and uh, the fear right now is that China is beginning to flex its muscles. And, you know, would the United States go to war to protect Taiwan? And that's always the, 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 the bottom line question. And the bottom line answer to that question is we have to make sure that at least the Chinese believe so. So the, uh, the uh, Korean uh, War the, began. The canary in the coal China. mine on this issue may be what's happening on the India-China border. Yeah, but that's really just a... Uh, the Chinese have no real interest in India. In other words, with, with the Chinese, there's a dispute there. It's gone, but gone on since uh, since the '60s of exactly where the border is, and you know the, the, we were talking about uh, you know thousands of maybe thousands, maybe hundreds of square miles of, of area that no one really cares about other than other than national pride. Mm-hmm. The whole other story with Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan is Chinese. The people in China in Taiwan. Fifty percent of them are, were refugees from communist China. The others were local Taiwanese, um, and it's a real um, thorn in the side of China. The fact that Taiwan is a democracy, yeah, and people in China say, "Wait a second, why are they a democracy and we're not?" The economic systems are not all that different, although China is much more, you know, is much more go back to crony capitalism. China is some weird combination of crony capitalism, government capitalism, and, and free markets. Right, and uh, they s- certainly can't be reassured by what's happening in Hong Kong right now, so they, they have to be very concerned and nervous about uh, expansionism, imperialism from China into uh, Taiwan. Right, absolutely. So in other words, they're, they're trying to beef up their armed forces. You know, again, um, 
could they could would, are they a um, are they capable of withstanding a Chinese attack? Unlikely. On the other hand, they they slow it down tremendously. Yes. And again, they are counting on the fact that when everything is said and done, the United States will come to to their aid. Yeah. Now, the way we don't have to come to their aid, of course, this always goes down to the very difficult situation. Because the way we will never have to come to their aid is if China believes we will come to their aid. Yeah. I just again a little history lesson. The Korean War began primarily because Dean Acheson gave a speech. Dean Acheson was the Secretary of State at the time. Right. And gave a speech that described the American security interests in the Pacific. And he had basically a line of the Philippines and Taiwan and um he talked about uh, the islands, but he didn't mention Korea. In Japan, of course. And he didn't mention Korea. Hmm. And so the Soviets and the North Koreans said to themselves, oh, uh, the Korea is not an American security interest. Therefore, if we attack, um, there won't be a problem because the Americans aren't going to come to the defense. The game, it's, it's all around chicken, isn't it? It's, it's unbelievable. It is very much. Well, that's why, you have, that's why you have mutual defense treaties. And that's what NATO is all about. And that's what CETO, um, which is gone a little bit in a dis- disappear these days, but it was a Southeast Asian treaty organization. Um, that's what they were all about, was the fact that they, if you have treaty obligations, it sort of eliminates the question, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And if there are no questions, then people have to make their decisions based on the fact, well, if, they, if we attack this country, the United States is bound by treaty to come and defend it. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, you know, I want to, uh, we have a number of other things I want to talk to you about, including what's happening with COVID-19 worldwide and in Israel, by the way, and here in the United States. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC 
ARC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the very robust website, thefga.org. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, historycentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, let's let's get an update on what's happening COVID nineteen worldwide. Uh, I know that Israel is in a shutdown right now. We're seeing a drop in the numbers here in Southwest Florida. Uh, what's your assessment? What's going on? Well, Israel went you know went bad went bad slowly when it opened up schools a little bit in June, and then it continued over the summer because it had absolutely no restrictions. And then in this in late August. First, the ultra-Orthodox schools opened, then September 1, the regular schools opened, and then things just spun out of control completely. Hmm. And cases basically doubled in a period of, um, a period of two weeks, hmm. daily, daily cases. And at this point, the, um, the mortality rate has, has gone up. We, were, we used to have one of the lowest mortality per million in the world, and now at the current rate, we, we no longer do. We have a higher mortality rate. And worst case, our hospitals are getting very close to what they describe as the red line of their inability to care for patients without significant decrease in, in level of care. Wow. And they waited a long time to bring the, the, the lockdown. And the lockdown is a, is, a, is a kind of bizarre lockdown because on one hand, um, it's really a, it was a lockdown to give, an ex, give the ability to close the restaurants, the bars, and the malls and the schools, mm-hmm. because work work is still theoretically open, and so people, even though they're not supposed to go more than a kilometer, which is about uh, two thirds of a, of a mile from their homes, they can be going there for going to work, and they can be doing there for going for sport. And there's so many holes, so the streets are still full of people, but the restaurants, bars, and those sort of places are all closed, and huh. the schools are closed, which is probably the most important thing. Um, but everyone fears it's it's a too late to put it that way. So is this is this pattern being replicated across the globe? What's what's happening? It's being replicated across the globe in most places in the globe where schools have resumed. In a few cases, not in Denmark, for instance, not. In other words, the few areas where the schools are able to really, really uh, engage in social distancing in the school and make sure that everyone was wearing masks, they've managed to hold down the the increase. But in any place where Schools opened and they didn't have good control. Um, there have been massive increase. Spain is particularly problematic at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so is Great Britain, uh, France. It's, all of Europe is, is, is once again in, in difficulties. Of course, South America has never gotten out of their difficulties. India. Uh, the interesting thing is the Far East is not. Well, Philippines is, but China, Taiwan, Thailand, 
and the Vietnam have not been hit at all. That's interesting. Uh, the have I? How about uh, again? We bring this up, but uh, Sweden has uh, apparently had uh, what we're going to call herd immunity. I guess at this point, no, they don't have herd immunity. They just keep, they they practice uh, extreme social distancing by their nature. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is their death rate was very high because they didn't have herd immunity, and so it hit the nursing homes in those places, and um, those got hit very hard early on. And now they've managed to protect them, and so the death rate is way down in Sweden. But, but the Swedes uh, literally average one person per family. They maintain distancing. There haven't been a, there hasn't been a, a wedding of you know. I mean, I can't, can't say two people haven't gotten married, but there hasn't been a well wedding celebration in Sweden since this whole thing began. Huh. Remember, some of the biggest problems are not what we do day to day. The biggest things happened in in celebrations and festivals and rallies in um, churches and synagogues where there are lots of people in, a, in an indoor space, that's where things really go bad. Yeah, it's so interesting. Well, we're going to see what... Here we had, uh, I think it was something like 50 cases. Uh, the the uh, moving seven-day moving uh, total average of uh, new cases is about 35 right now. It was as high as 221 here in Cuyahoga County. And we're back to school, but we're not seeing an increase in cases, really. It's it's continued to decline. So perhaps... It's meanwhile, still... in the mid- Midwest, we're seeing a big increase, though. That's the interesting thing. Really? In the so... upper Midwest, and Dakotas, and Iowa, and Idaho, and Wisconsin, and those places, there's been a big increase in, in cases. Wow. So, so we'll just... Also, you know, this, this disease works in strange ways, let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, we'll just uh, have to continue to be cautious, but hopeful. I guess is the uh, again, it's unpredictable. We really don't know what to expect. We perhaps can take a page out of the book of what's happening globally as a as kind of a warning of what might be happening here. But it's it's scary stuff. Uh, let's. I would do have two other things I want to talk to you about. First of all, uh, we haven't seen Thailand in the news for a long time, and apparently there's big protests in Thailand now. Lots of protests, despite the fact that the government has been putting down the protests fairly brutally. Uh, the protesters uh, want a new constitution. They want to end military rule. And the more interesting thing is that uh, for the first time, they're demanding an end or a change to the monarchy. It was basically illegal to in any which way criticize the monarchy. Uh-huh. And that would get you immediately arrested and tortured if you criticized the monarchy. So, you know, we think of the, we think of the film or the, the play of The King and I, right? The monarchy yeah. and the king of Thailand. Yeah. Maybe I'm giving away my age here, but... Uh. <laughs> well, you know, and it's kind of interesting. I, when I went through the material on Thailand and the protests that are happening, or the uh, apparently the, I guess it's the king, it was in Europe and spends a lot of time there. So perhaps it's that uh, fact that they, the king is not there serving the people as he should. Right. Well, that's one of the, the strange issues, right? You have kings who don't, who, who are godlike in how you're supposed to revere them, but they don't do very much for anybody. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so interesting. Final final topic is the uh, sanctions on Iran, uh, the s- quote unquote snapback sanctions, and uh, so uh, the which I guess are on, uh, by U- by the UN. The US is definitely saying, "Hey, we're going to continue the sanctions." What's your commentary and thought there? Well, the problem right now is this. I mean, obviously, uh, the Iranians deserve to have sanctions put on them. On one hand, on the other hand, the United States is in a very bad position because. It claimed we, that they can call for the snapback because the agreement, the JCOPA, allows any of the any of the members to 
call for a snapback of, of the sanctions if certain conditions aren't met. Uh-huh. Uh, the only problem is the United States withdrew from the JCOPA. Right. So the Europeans and everybody else and the United Nations officially are saying, well, it's very nice that you've called for snapback, but you could have done, if you were still part of the agreement, then you had a right to do it. But you're not part of the agreement, so on what basis are you calling a snapback? Right. So, so therein lies, lies the precedent. The United States is threatening sanctions on countries that don't adhere to its snapback. So we're going to start sanctioning Great Britain, France, Germany. Well, apparently there's a list of a a dozen or so, or two dozen uh, people that could be affected by uh, sanctions if, in fact, they continue to do business with Iran. It's a real problematic situation at this point. Because meanwhile, the the Iranians have gone forward with the development of, of nuclear material. You know, again, my problem had been all along with the withdrawal from the JCOPA is I thought it was an imperfect agreement, but you needed a plan B. Just because you withdrew doesn't mean, you know, you can... Okay, let me put it it this way. One of the big problems in the actions of the Trump administration, generally speaking, is their belief that unilateralism works. And sometimes it does, but sometimes you need multilateral approaches to things. And so uh, and in the, this is also happening in the context of this uh, these Middle East agreements that we're seeing, uh, which I think is putting greater pressure on Iran. And number two, the, I believe uh, the economy in Iran is to continuing to uh, to struggle. Oh, there's no question. The, the economy in Iran is continuing to be in trouble, and even worse, they have probably one of the worst records in the world when it comes to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. I forgot the number I saw the other day, but the death toll um, is you know, not as high as the United States, but it's a much smaller country. Um, so um, the reality is that they're in trouble, but they've been in trouble. Mm-hmm. And again, we have theocracy. It's really hard to get rid of a theocracy because theocracies, if you believe them, you know, they have the keys to heaven. Yeah. And the keys to heaven are really a problematic thing to overcome often. Uh, through the history of the globe, absolutely, it's been the, <laughs> the number one cause. Everything from the uh, the uh, what, what's happened with Constantinople, and uh, you can go go from there. Um, you can go from there. Look, look, you know, we can have a long discussion of all the good that religion has done for the people of Earth over over you know in the history of the Earth. You can also have a long discussion of all the evil it's brought as well. Right. And one of the problems, this is you know, I make a general statement is that I've never understood how monotheistic people who all believe in the same God in theory mm-hmm. can fight each other about, you know, how they interpret the will of God. Mm-hmm. That's just insane to me, that you're fighting each other when all these monotheistic religions accept, you know, like the Ten Commandments that talk about thou shalt not kill. And yet all the monotheistic religions have gone, have, have fought and killed each other over you know, the best interpretation of what, you know, how are you supposed to fulfill that re- your religious obligations? Yeah, and I think it all comes down to we, we resent people for their differences. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> think that listen, I say that, you know, listen, my best example, what I see in dog parks, right? When I, when I have a dog or in a dog park, when the dog is outside the dog park, everyone barks at it, the enemy, the enemy, the enemy. The minute that same dog comes inside, oh, how nice! Let's play. <laughs> and, and then that's 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 human nature too. Absolutely. The other, 
the other is, is is what's dangerous, and we need to overcome that because the other is no different than, than you and me. Absolutely. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. Mark and I don't agree about much, especially when we get inside the U.S. borders, but nevertheless, he's so well-informed and so interesting to talk to. I hope you enjoyed uh, the discussion with Mark Schulman. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and, of course, building a brand-new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, as I mentioned before the break. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. My pleasure, indeed. Tell us about the terrific, really terrific organization, the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay, thank you. FEE, uh, which you can learn more about at fee.org, is an organization devoted to educating and inspiring young people in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, small government, and, most importantly, personal character. And we do that through the website, but also events around the country and, and even abroad. 
Many of those now have gone online because of the uh, virus, mm-hmm. but uh, they'll resume at the, the right point in person. And we educate uh, hundreds of thousands of young people through those various methods uh, every single year. Yeah, and if there's a young person in your life, please do check out fee.org and find out more. It can have, be a life-changing experience for the positive uh, to be involved with the uh, with a terrific organization. Uh, Larry, you wrote a great column. It's called Presentism Imperils Our Future by Distorting Our Past. And I think it's so relevant and important to the, what we're seeing happening today. Maybe you could tell us about it. Okay. I think it's very disturbing, uh, Bob, that uh, presentism... Uh, is on the rise, <clears throat> and this is a way of looking at the past. Uh, and what it does, basically, is it judges people from the past by present standards, uh, standards that themselves have evolved over time. They didn't just pop fully formed into our heads at some point. And so when you do that, when you judge people of the past outside the context in which they lived, uh, then you end up discovering that, well, uh, they fell short in some way. Uh, they're imperfect. Uh, you know, why didn't they uh, embrace the standards of today, uh, mm-hmm. which weren't around back then? Uh, and we see that a lot in uh, the way people are viewing American history, and it leads to things like the uh, defacing of monuments and the rewriting of history and the uh, judgment, the very harsh judgment of people in the past who we once regarded as heroic. Yeah, and the irony there, of course, is that when you take a look at the behavior of the people that are making these judgments, you'd say to yourself, my goodness, those people of the past seem to have more character than the ones that are... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You have people uh, criticizing some of America's founders because uh, some of them own slaves, and that makes the presentist of today feel good. You know, it's a, it's a kind of virtue signaling to say, ah, I have found a flaw. I'm better than that person was. Uh, but it, it causes them to ignore the context in which those people of the past uh, lived. And it also causes them to ignore their contributions more broadly. I mean, I would say that, yeah, even though Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, he probably did more than any other single person uh, in that generation to advance the cause of human liberty than the critics of today will ever do in their entire lifetime. And what a great point. And, you know, and of course, the, the magic, the, the wonderful thing that occurred in 1776 to 1789 when we had this wonderful document called the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence uh, is just really remarkable. And yet, when people are trying to tear this down, what happens is they're really saying, uh, if you don't agree with me, if you don't see it the way I see it, then there's something wrong with you. And again, this is a violation of everything that the Constitution stands for. That's right. And when you consider the world before 1776, you'll find that uh, slavery was quite common everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, serfdom uh, was still present. Uh, people uh, lived in countries all over the world where they were in constant fear of the politicians at the top, the kings, the queens, and what have you. So all of a sudden in 1776, the American revolutionaries advanced liberty further than anybody had ever done before. And then the, the critics of today say, but they didn't free everybody. They, did, they weren't perfect. They didn't go the full distance. Well, that's rarely the way history unfolds anyway. Right. But they certainly uh, did more than any who came before, and they gave us the instruments 
and the ideas which would allow for the continued progress of mankind. Uh, that's the important thing, to look at them in context and their broad contributions um, and, and not forget the, the nuances of the context and the milieu in which they lived in their time. Absolutely, and uh, you know the, the irony also is the fact that internationally we're seeing slavery still exists. We see people yeah. who are bonded, people who are uh, bullied, people who, you know, where the laws are not enforced, as it, unfortunately as that's beginning to happen here in the United States. And the consequence is that you have local governments just turning their face, ignoring, uh, and this is happening in Mexico, for crying out loud. So, yeah, a kind yeah, of an, absolutely. an alternative government. So, we need to relish and really embrace what we have. And unfortunately, we have these people who are so uninformed and alcohol ignorant uh, trying to make us. Where do you think this is leading us, Larry? When you, we, in your title, you say it could, future, it could just uh, imperil our future. Where could this lead? Well, I, I don't see that it could possibly lead to a, a, anything uh, a positive. I mean, uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with being honest about our past. Uh, but if you, if you take it to the point where you uh, focus on the wrongs and ignore the corrections, ignore the, the good things, ignore the whole person of the past and the context in which they lived, well, then a lot of the lessons of history you're simply not going to learn. Uh, it'll just pass you up. It would be like uh, bringing the Wright brothers back and saying, hey, look at this rickety flying machine you created. What's the problem with you? You didn't put uh, tray tables in it. You didn't put in-flight movies. You didn't have dinner service. I mean, what good were you? Yeah, where's, of course, the, where's the seat belts? <laughs> yeah, that's right. None of that stuff. But, of course, they, they took us a great distance, and they gave us the foundations that we needed to improve on the plane, just as men like Jefferson and Washington gave us uh, such great achievements uh, upon which uh, later generations could improve. And I'll say this, too, and with the issue of slavery. You know, these men worked to, to negotiate and get to some common understanding that they could go with in order to create the United States of America. There were disagreements, and I'm sure there are more disagreements than we truly understand. You know, how you stand yeah. on any issue depends on where you sit around the table, right, <laughs> in your circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they comp they did their best to come up with, some with a solution, and of course that has all been resolved by a civil war. It's been resolved by amendments to the Constitution. That's how you make change. You don't tear down statues. So, I, I, part of this column really led me to, to really acknowledge the fact that we had such great leaders uh, during our revolution. Yes, we did, and it's so presumptuous of these uh, presentists of, of today to find a fault and focus exclusively on that in uh, uh, people of the past. I'd like to ask them, okay, uh, let's suppose for a moment that you were born in 1700. Do you know for certain that you would have become a... Uh, anti-slave uh, uh, slavery activist and abolition. Do we know that? Yeah. We don't know that. If you'd been born in 1700, you might well have been uh, become a slave owner yourself. Hey, and if I'm not mistaken, I think that we outlawed the, the uh, bringing in slaves early on. I think it was like uh, 1805 or some early point in our history. So 1807, and that was a provision in the original Constitution that the slave trade would end uh, in 1807, you're yeah, right. Yeah. Again, uh, Larry Reed, the president emeritus of a terrific organization, the Foundation for Economic Education, FEE.org. Larry, really appreciate your contributions to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Yeah, Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He was in the had his press pass at the White House. Uh, he's now retired. He's writing, and he's, his latest two books are really terrific murder mysteries. We're going to be talking to Jim that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. With all the threats to faith, family, and freedom, Christian Television Network, the Faith Center Fort Myers, and Florida Pastors Network invite you to Healing Our Nation Tuesday, September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. for a free panel discussion on engaging and impacting culture with a biblical worldview. Distinguished national guest Bishop E.W. Jackson, founder of Stand Foundation, staying true to America's national destiny. John Stenberger, founder of Florida Family Policy Council and called to vote, along with historian and best-selling author Dr. William Federer, want to equip you to effectively respond to the moral and social issues impacting our community. Join us live on television September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. on CTN Southwest Florida or live streaming at ctntelevision.com or in person at the Faith Center. Details, ctntelevision.com. That's ctntelevision.com. Or call 239-543-7200. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, and I hope you find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg. Yeah, Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of two great murder mysteries that I enjoyed reading so much. The first is Follow the Leader, and its sequel is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. I, I feel warmer just uh, being in contact with somebody in Florida. Uh, <laughs> I want to men- mention that inside the Beltway, we've had our coldest weekend in 20 years. Wow. So, you know, right now it's in the low 40s, and the, the heat went on in the McTagg house last night. Wow. Well, I'm so grateful to be down here. We had a few clouds and some brainstorms, but uh, it's been absolutely beautiful. Just fortunate and grateful that the uh, hurricanes and the tropical storms passed us by here on the uh, West Coast. So, um, you know, I haven't talked about on the show today uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her death on uh, Friday. 
and uh, how pr- Trump found out about it. His initial comment was terrific, I thought. But uh, what are your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> it's a gift from the gods for Donald Trump. Uh, first of all, it's knocked the COVID story off the front pages everywhere. You know, so so the focus is no longer on uh, President Trump's handling or mishandling of the uh, COVID response. Yeah, it's uh, how dare he nominate somebody in an election year, uh, which is a phony headline. He'd be an idiot not to nominate a woman, and the reason is strategically. If you look, if you can, if you can believe the polls, you know, a big if, but the polls show that Trump is trailing college-educated women in the suburbs, Mm -hmm. a a very big uh, voter block. He has uh, solid support among women who are uh, not college-educated. Now, if he nominates a woman for the Supreme Court, uh, he's going to, uh, the Democrats are are viscerally are going to attack her. They're going to slime her. So so the, uh, it'll suddenly be, uh, you know, the Democrats accuse Trump of being anti-woman, but, uh, list, you know, what do you see before you? You see Democrats attracting, uh, attacking women. Yeah. So it will help Trump's base. I don't think it will win new suburban women because they've kind of uh, made up their minds, but it will, it, it will strengthen Trump's base. It may help him on the margin. Now, if the nominee happens to be uh, a, a Catholic or an evangelical, uh, their religion is also going to be attacked. Mm-hmm. So that will strengthen uh, Trump's support among, uh, you know, the, the Christians who who uh, lean right. Yeah. So I, so I mean, it's uh, I don't know if it's a strategy. It it cannot hurt Trump. It's a uh, politically. It makes all the sense in the world. Well, it's it's so it's, so interesting that you should bring this point up because I hadn't even thought of it in those terms, but uh, in terms of the polit- politics of this thing. But what's so interesting to me is the rage that's being expressed by the left as a, of he can't dare do this. Nancy Pelosi is Pelosi is threatening. <laughs> another impeachment my she's i guess she's she's out of arrows in her quiver i don't know what's going on with that statement and then of course there's a there's a threat of uh of violence and uh the so this is just a clear no he can't do this this is so upsetting of course what's i think uh, most people are concerned about is roe v wade uh yeah i think so but you know, to your point uh it's bringing out the worst behaviors in the Democrats. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, whether you like Mitch, McCon- Mitch McConnell or, or hate him, you know, it's, it's, it's really a, a, a poor state of affairs when Democrats pile protesters uh, into his front yard because they don't like uh, his point of view. I mean, that's not, a, that's a very un-American. And I think, uh, you know, that hurts the Democrats at, as well. Because yeah. the, uh, the, it's, a, it's a politically correct reign of terror and I think there's a silent majority that's really turned off and frightened by that. So, that, you know, that also uh, strengthens uh, the Republicans. Um, and the- let me add that we, we haven't had the first debate yet. So, so to call this election already is uh, ridiculous. No, it certainly is. Well, you know, what I see... 
Hey, what's your, don't, what are you going to believe, your lion eyes? What are my lion eyes telling me? They, I see all this support. I see uh, we've got all kinds of rallies for Trump. I see people with flags. I see, you know, the, the, the support is visceral. And, of course, he's all over the country. He just keeps on going and going and going. And uh, what was it? In, uh, uh, up in uh, Minnesota, there was uh, tens of thousands of people, as there were in his last rally, trying to remember where that was it that was in uh where was that last one i've forgotten now but it doesn't I, matter i forget too but he he you know he was in philadelphia and they predicted all kinds of violence when he had his town hall in philadelphia and, and that didn't materialize yeah so um um you know reports of his demise are premature and and just remember that uh, a month ago democrats were uh telling their supporters uh Let's not assume that this is a slam dunk for Joe Biden. Uh, that sort of uh, warning has disappeared, but yeah. it's, I think it's as real today as it was uh, yesterday. This election, despite the early voting, is going to be tight, and and you can't rule Donald Trump out. There's there's uh, well, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm certainly not. You know, of course, we live in a in a in a bubble here and a, a bastion of conservative thought here in Southwest Florida, but. Uh, to me, I'm sure the election is going to be close in Florida, for example, maybe one percentage point uh, difference in terms of uh, the vote. But what I see is visceral support and enthusiastic support for the president. There was a there was a car. They were going to have a car rally uh, for Biden and three cars showed <laughs> <laughs> he, I see no visceral support, and he's he's got nobody in the room when he's giving these talks. He, he gave a 15-minute talk where he said, you know what, uh, uh, right now as I speak, what Donald Trump is doing criminal. By the time I complete this message, or I'm paraphrasing now, 200 million people will have died of <laughs> coronavirus. He's, he's just a bumbling fool, and uh, it's I just don't know. How, this is kind of like the Wizard of Oz trying to support this guy. Well, it, it's really, for somebody like me, like, as you know, I'm not a Trump supporter and yep. I'm not a Biden supporter. Right. So, so for me, um, uh, what do I do? Well, you know, the, the rest of the, uh, it, it really makes a big difference who controls the uh, Congress. And the last thing I want to see is one-party control of Congress. Mm -hmm. I'm really in favor of divided government checks and balances. Mm. Uh, so uh, I'll probably uh, vote. Yeah, I'm going to vote for conservatives. I'm not going to. I'm not going to vote uh, one party or the other. I'm going to think very carefully about who I uh, vote for. Yeah, uh, um, and I, I hope my fellow Americans. <clears throat> Also, are very you know less visceral and more intellectual in their uh, choices. Um, I'd like to underscore the point you made because it's so important. Uh, the the founders had in mind the the whole notion of how people crave, become addicted to power, and that's what they were responding to to the King of England. What was happening? I guess it was King George III, if I'm not mistaken. But the point is this: that and we're watching evidence of that right now. You can hear Nancy Pelosi and these other people who are absolutely in disdain and fear that the president might exercise his constitutional right to nominate a successor to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So uh, thank God that the founders had uh, the balance of power, the uh, House of Representatives, the Senate, and the, the uh, president, the, the executive branch, 
Otherwise, I mean, uh, and and my hope would be, to your point, sometimes it's best to do nothing. You don't just just don't stand there, do nothing. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, also the founders feared the uh, rule of mob rule. That's why they didn't go for a pure democracy. Right. And uh, what the Democrats are fostering this year is mob rule. Absolutely. And, uh, is it, is it, you know, that frightens me more than anything. I couldn't agree more. Again, Jim McTagg, I just encourage you to get a copy of his book, Follow the Leader and the Sequel, Shake the Money Tree. It just great reads, and I really appreciate it because it was located in Washington, D.C., these murder mysteries. Jim, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to join you. Oh, thank you so much, Jim. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I always appreciate your comments. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Tomorrow... We're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, Boo Mortensen from Madison, Wisconsin, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. I'm hopeful that I've got a request that have Crystal Kenzel come on, our Collier County Clerk of Courts. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>